This is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time, a podcast spun off from our main show because, well, every week over around 350 episodes, we get to the end of the show and start talking about all the things we didn't discuss. This show highlights all the teams and the moments of the week and plenty more. And Derek, our good friend here from, or formerly of the UK, is is going to lead the way. Um, Now, Derek, uh, off the top of this discussion, we we usually... uh, Talk about our our team of the week, and uh, and this week we've got a very special guest to, to discuss that very team of the week. Yeah, I'm delighted that uh, Chris Wolf from the Athletic has uh, joined us to talk about my team of the week, Newcastle United. I know that we wanted to talk to uh, to Chris even before because we want to talk about a young Aussie uh, that has uh, has gone to Newcastle, but uh, Newcastle themselves, I felt like it was the standout. Uh, Results of the um, of the of the uh, weekend highlights, and there were many many great results. But Newcastle's four one away victory at Fulham, and let's remember Fulham absolutely no pushover at the moment in their return to the Premier League. Yes, they were down to ten men, but at the same time they um, they they really put Fulham to the sword. Almiron looked impressive, and they were sixth and. Uh, then and now seventh, but they're in the right part of the table and bringing Chris in for the first time. Chris, it's been an interesting start of the season for Newcastle. There's been a lot of draws, but they've been tough to beat. Uh, Defence has looked pretty good. Do you, but do you think this performance in particular might be one that they can use to be the catalyst for their season? Yeah, I mean, I think the performances have been good for the most part, except maybe the, the home draw with, with Bournemouth. But really, Saturday was important, and Eddie Howe referenced this himself. Uh, I think the result was very important. It, it felt like he, he almost spoke about Newcastle were at a crossroads, really, in their season, where either they could be, be playing well, but then don't get the wins, and then confidence drops, and then suddenly the performances drop as well. But if you can if you can get those wins to match the performances, then really they can kick on and play the way that they are, which is completely different to how they have been since they returned to the Premier League in 2017. Rather than sit off and try and counter-attack, they're now having more of the ball, they're having more shots, they're having increased territory. And it hadn't quite worked out for them in the final third, but Callum Wilson being back was huge. Obviously, the sending off for, for Shalabar also really helped Newcastle early on. But what they did against Fulham that they didn't do against Bournemouth was create clear-cut opportunities and take them. And, I mean, Almiron's goal was was an absolute stunner, which I think will be in contention for goal of the season, never mind goal of the month. It was that good. Yeah, it was a stunner. And it's interesting because even with all the money that's been spent in strengthening this side over over the summer and leading into the end of the transfer window, uh, when you look at the scorers, just at the very least on um, on the books there, you had Almiron, who uh, predates, I think, uh, Howe and, and the new ownership. Uh, and obviously, uh, Longstaff getting on the score sheet too, uh, uh, sort of a, a academy product. This is the result of good coaching, not necessarily 
what I'd call checkbook management, isn't it? It is. I mean, until Newcastle broke their transfer record to sign Alexander Isak during the final 10 days of the summer window, the only attacking signing they'd made in the two windows since the takeover was, was Chris Wood. Most of the money that has been spent and energy has been spent on inc- improving them defensively, which has worked. But more, what was expected at the time of the takeover, what hasn't happened is that they were going to have these sort of glamour signings, that it was going to be all the attacking players. And that's not really how it's been. So it's it's about how coaching and extracting more from the players. Almiron is frustrated so much. He has started the season well other than necessarily finishing. But on Sat- on Saturday, we, we saw that he can. And it's about all these players kicking on if they want to stay in the team. Callum Wilson came back after injury and he's huge for Newcastle. He was before the takeover and he remains so now. Injuries have been frustrating that he can't be in the team enough. But when he is there, they are a transformed side and you could, you could see that. And so Howe has done wonders with this side without really completely transforming the front line. He wanted another right-sided forward. They didn't arrive. So Almiron started the season in the team and he's taken his chance at the moment. He knows he needs to raise his game if he's going to have any chance of staying at Newcastle longer term, given the increased ambition. It's quite an interesting season, Chris, because it's going to be broken up by this World Cup, which is rapidly uh, heading towards us now. And I think every team is really targeting the end of the first part of the season to be in a good position to go away and, uh, you know, they'll lose some players to the World Cup and hopefully get them back in one piece. Um, how are Newcastle going to be affected by the World Cup and, and, and also this run leading into the World Cup? Like, do you think there's a run of games there that they can really kind of put a marker down going into that break? I do think they can put up a marker down. I think Fulham was important because really, I mean, they've got Brentford at home next and looking at these two fixtures beforehand, you thought they really need at least four points, these two, to to help cement that positive start performance-wise, but actually get some points onto the board. So if they can follow up the win against Fulham with a win against Brentford, suddenly they really are looking up and they've got a few difficult fixtures in there, the likes of Man United and Chelsea, but equally they have other matches that you think they've got Everton at home, a few of their fixtures where they really could get on a decent roll. And they've also got a League Cup match against Crystal Palace, which is huge for them because Eddie Howe has said how they're going to target cup games. The World Cup itself, they're not going to be as effective as some of, as, as affected, sorry, negatively as some of the big sides with all the players going away. The likes of Trippier, Bruno Guimaraes, and they'll, they'll have about half a dozen probably go at the World Cup, but the rest, Newcastle will try and, and, and keep in peak fitness and use this very odd sort of six-week period in the middle of the season to, they'll have a bit of time off, then they'll go away in a training camp and have some friendlies because in some ways, it's good that they won't have players away for that injury, uh, issue, but also I know that there's people in and around the club who are a bit concerned as to a player not playing for six weeks, even in friendlies. How do you suddenly just come back to an elite level when a lot of other Premier League players would have been playing at the World Cup? So it'll be interesting to see how Newcastle do manage that and then if they can pick up where they hopefully leave off in positive form going into that World Cup. Garon Quall, who's one of the most exciting and precocious talents that we've seen uh, come through the A-League. He's only just turned 18. He's debuted uh, for the Socceroos, youngest uh, Socceroos debutant since Harry Kuehl, uh, who made his name uh, near enough around to, to your part of the world. Uh, how has it been seen from, from Newcastle? Is he seen as sort of a golden signing that we would consider him, or is he one of many? Uh, we saw him in the away end uh, on the weekend with the, with the away fans, which is obviously uh, magnificent to see. Uh, what sort of an impact has this signing made uh, in Newcastle? Yeah, well, I'm being in the away end at Craven Cottage is certainly endeared under supporters quite quickly, and I'm sure they've enjoyed that environment. It'll have been, it'll have been a unique experience for them, because as, as I'm sure you're aware, Newcastle fans are sort of fabled for their away support. 
Um, in terms of how it's been received, Newcastle have been trying to bolster their sort of youth ranks and their their sort of under twenty one teams since the takeover happened. And Dan Ashworth, the uh, uh, sporting director who they brought in from Brighton and was at the, at the English FA previously, he has been leading that. But Kuhl is is slightly different because he is seen as as the as the as the real one who they hope is going to develop into a first team player. Other ones they think might, but equally they need a lot of work. Whereas Kuhl, although he hasn't got that much experience, he's also very very talented. A lot of clubs have been looking at him. The likes of Borussia Dortmund and other clubs in Germany. There was also their Premier League teams who watched him. And Newcastle think they've acted early and, and managed to sign a raw talent. Whether that means he's going to be in the first team. In the short to medium term, I think that's a little bit less less uh, certain. For a start, England, since the uh, Brexit, basically it's a lot more difficult for, for, for Newcastle and, uh, and and other clubs to, to necessarily get players through or need a governing body endorsement, essentially, to get a visa. So that will take a little bit of time. It will be aided if he goes to the World Cup and may speed it up. But the plan, at, at least at this moment in time, is that Newcastle are going to send him out on loan to Europe to both gain experience and hopefully to, to eventually get him that work permit so he can play. But they see him as someone who... Callum Wilson has just signed a new contract at Newcastle and they see these younger players as... Some, as, as being ideal to learn from Wilson over the course of the next few years. And the fact he can play in a few forward positions, he's someone they really, really do have high hopes for. And historically at Newcastle, when they've signed young players, they haven't necessarily worked out, but this is a different Newcastle now. And hopefully uh, he is the the, the, the face of, 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 of basically the future for this club. Right. So you've answered my next question to an extent. So I was going to say, is this... Uh, does Newcastle have form in how they would handle a, a talent like this? Are they maybe like a Chelsea or a Man City with sort of entrenched sort of farming systems for want of a better word? But this is seen as something as uh, an experiment and maybe a bit of a trailblazing project now that the money's come in? Yeah. I mean, historically, Newcastle, certainly under Magashi, the previous owner, they, they would sign young players, some of them seen as, as, as really exciting, and then it just they just did not develop. They did not kick on. Ivan Tony, I suppose, is a prime example of that. Newcastle signed him from Northampton Town when he was an 17-year-old, I think he was at the time. He came to Newcastle, didn't really have the development programme, had to go down to, to the third division in English football to then come back up. And now he's in the England squad, obviously impressing with Brentford. And so that is one example of how it was previously. This is this is still the, 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 the year anniversary of the takeover is this week. So this, this version of Newcastle is still in its formative phase, really. But the ambition is to, to, to develop these players who they do sign young and, and to get the sort of quote-unquote world-class talent before they actually are seen as world-class and before they're playing in that way. Dan Ashworth, as I said before, has been pivotal of that. They are putting the infrastructure in place. They're getting more coaches. They're trying to work on uh, actually having proper development pathways. And so I do think that that, that uh, Kuyol has a far better chance than a lot of other players who've come to Newcastle in recent years. Just to finish off, you, you mentioned that coming up to the year anniversary uh, of of the new owners and I suppose if you could just take a, a step back how have you assessed it overall I mean obviously chalk and cheese from that from the previous uh, regime in a, in a number of different ways do you um, how, how far along the journey do you think they are and uh, you know what what would success look like over the next couple of seasons? I still think they're in the sort of foothills of the of the of the sort of climb that they want to go in because the first seven or eight months after the takeover, all the focus was on survival. It wasn't as if they could come in and suddenly 
focused on the future. The January transfer window, really, when I mentioned the likes of Chris Wood earlier, Dan Byrne, these players were signed to ensure Newcastle stayed up and it worked. But it also means that one of the, when everyone says they've spent £210 million, which they have, basically half of that, although these players are still involved and, and, and will grow and, and have been impressive for Newcastle, it wasn't as if they were signed to take them into the, into Europe and the Champions League necessarily. They were signed for a specific purpose. So the summer was different. And now the way that they are going in, they are making significant progress. Having Eddie Howe in position has been huge and the owners want to back him and, and see him as someone who could take them up the league. Having an actual executive structure in place with Dan Ashworth as the sporting director and Darren Eales, they're brought in from Atlanta United as the CEO. He was previously at Spurs and, and West Brom. So having these actual figures to build the club, that, that is essential. And so I, I think they are at the start of the journey, but what's realistic over the next couple of years, I know that within 18 months, two years, Newcastle want to be in Europe as a minimum. Whether they can do it this season might be a little bit of a push that, that they've given themselves a decent chance with the way that they've started. And they certainly believe that, that, that it is possible, but given that, that that a lot of the squad is still who was there previously. I think next season certainly will be will be a European push. And then that five to ten year timescale for, for trying to compete for the Premier League title seems to to still be the ambition. I think five years is is highly unlikely. Ten years can they build to that sort of position? That that's the goal and and I, and I think that, that they're gonna try their utmost to by the end of this decade be competing for titles. All right, uh, that was wonderful chatting with Chris just then, Derek. Uh, but uh, we roll on into the game of the week. There were plenty of nominations uh, there. Uh, uh, I think there's one that stands out, though. Yeah, look, I, I always wait with uh, bated breath uh, on Monday morning to see what's happened while we're recording this show. And I was glad I hung on because, of course, it was the Manchester derby. I think uh, we would have liked to have seen something approaching a competitive or at least semi-competitive game. Uh, on paper, 6-3 doesn't look like um, the biggest shocker in the world, but that really doesn't tell the truth for anyone that watched it. Uh, Manchester City blew Manchester United away in probably the most single impressive uh, performance by any Premier League team this season. This was more than muscle flexing. This was uh, a surgeon of dominance potentially not just in England but you know sort of result that can reverberate around Europe as well the double hat tricks just underlined the point uh Harlan and Foden uh cashing in there and we saw the scenes of Manchester United fans leaving the ground at, at half time and uh I just wonder you know I think the Arden football fan would say you should always support your team no matter what but I mean it was pretty miserable fare and despite the fact they didn't have that long to get home some of them you know I think some of them had had enough and Haaland obviously banged in his third home hat-trick of the season I know we keep talking about him on this show and we spoke about him before he even arrived in the Premier League but this isn't you know if it is amazing if not not that surprising he seems to have this uh signature goal where he just sticks his leg out to these crosses and I, I don't know how you defend that as a defender you know it's just you know dead space and I, you can't get your body in there and you know it's almost like a snooker shot for him he just sticks the leg out he knows exactly where he wants to put it uh, and it is um, it, it's magic so United did um, uh, did manage to claw a couple back to make it look on paper at least slightly more uh uh, slightly more uh, better from their point of view but this was a city's day by far it was a muscular 
performance. I bet you Pep's really annoyed about those three goals as well. It will be tearing his well, little hair follicles he has out, you know, about those. I think it, uh, Robert was another um, City player that, that caught your eye outside of Ireland as well. Huh? I, I know. Well, I mean, how would you feel if you're Phil Foden, a, a genuine local boy, uh, was ball boy for, for City at one stage in, in his early days, scores a hat-trick and he can't even make the headlines? No, and it was a good hat-trick as well. Like, you know, he wasn't going to miss no matter where he took a shot from uh, in that game. It just seemed like the ball just found him every time. And there were difficult chances as well. Some of them he had to take first time and guide it uh, past the uh, past the Manchester United goalkeeper. So he's laid a marker down uh, as well. And I know Pep will uh, want him amongst the goals. Uh, Willem, is it too early to be... Uh, looking at City as this kind of, you know, uh, unstoppable machine, both in uh, England and in Europe this year. Some sort of non-giving-up goal guy, Erling Haaland. Uh, I did just want to say, Derek, on, on Foden, I think it was the third goal. It's not often a player has time to actually look at the linesman and check, am I onside? Then look at the goalkeeper uh, and then slot it. Very, very impressive. Uh, and, yeah, it did occur to me just the age of their two, uh, their two hat-trick scorers, Haaland, 22 Foden, probably a little bit younger than that, Derek. Um, yeah, this is not uh, this is not the back end of a uh, of an era by by any stretch. Uh, look, they're going okay in the Champions League. You'd think they'd roll through, but as they get to the later stages, uh, that monkey on the back does seem to get heavier and heavier for them. So we'll see how they go. I don't think they're unstoppable in Europe uh, by any means, but certainly uh, in England, uh, my Manchester United for the title bets not looking uh, not looking particularly good uh, at this stage. Do we want to roll on to the, uh, the the hot topic? I think moment moment of the week first. Moment. Um, William and I know Rob's keen to talk about this game as well, but the mo- the moment of the week for me um, was Colin Gallagher's goal uh, against Crystal Palace. Uh, he's come into the team. Obviously, uh, Potter has decided to show some faith in him. He chose to stay at Chelsea, and Tuchel wasn't using him a lot uh, leading up to his departure. But when you think about uh, where Chelsea were in the game and they were 1-0 down and we were getting into the 90th minute and Gallagher comes on as a um, comes on as a substitute and the ball falls to him on the edge of the box, he shifts it onto his right foot and then just pings an absolute worldie uh, past the goalkeeper. It was a bit annoying, actually. The goalie got a bit of a touch on it and it didn't, didn't look quite as good as it hit the net. It was very selfish of the goalkeeper to do that. But uh, touch or not, it was uh, a stunning goal and uh, it gave... Uh, Gallagher that special moment in front of his old club who he spent all last season and as is Dirigeur at the moment gents he chose not to celebrate uh, that particular uh, moment um, let his teammates do the celebration uh, for him but uh, Rob this was uh, pretty much in your team uh, your game of the week as well you were impressed by this one weren't you? Yeah absolutely in particular the new signing for, for Chelsea the, the bloke that scored before Gallagher that um, that uh, uh, equalised for Chelsea um, won P.E. Aubameyang um, who uh, has probably got a few points to prove but I just I think we all like the the story of Graham Potter and uh, and we all like the, the idea that uh, he as an English coach um of English pedigree, who's uh, who's um, come through uh, the grades. He's he's uh, coached at, at lesser levels um, across the continent, and uh, and and did uh, very well, not exceptionally well, but did very well to to consolidate uh, um, his uh, uh, his previous club, Brighton, in, in the top flight, and uh, uh, and and just so much expectation around uh, his signing that it, it's nice to see. As much as uh, as Patrick Vieira has done great work at Crystal Palace. Um, 
it's good, just nice to see him get off to, to a good start. Derek, can I just jump in there? Is there a more Australian-looking English person than Conor Gallagher? Uh, he looks like he should be playing for the Mariners or the West Coast Eagles or maybe having to feed in the sand with the surfboard under the arm. He strikes me as a very Aussie-looking surfy kind of guy. Yeah, he does. I think, yeah, I think you're particularly referring to the blonde uh, locks uh, that he has. I and mean, yeah, he, he is a young player, I believe. You'll have to check, Willem. I don't know if he's been capped by England or not. So there could still be uh, a chance to find out if there's any uh, Aussie uh, DNA. Um, Conor Gallagher's intervention probably wasn't the only talking point of this game, of course. There was another one, which was uh, Thiago uh, Silva's yellow card for Chelsea. A pretty pivotal uh, moment in the game. Uh, Andre Ayew was pretty much straight through uh, having dispossessed uh, the Brazilian player. And uh, the Brazilian player uh, handled the ball twice on the ground, very, very deliberately knocking uh, the ball out of uh, IU's way. And a lot of people looking at that saying that was a very cynical play from uh, the Brazilian and uh, denial of a of a clear goal-scoring opportunity. So... Um, this game was also shrouded in in controversy and it possibly could have made my uh, uh, hot topic had there not been something else I wanted to talk about, Rob. Yes, but before you do get to that hot topic, I do want to give apologies for the moment of the week uh, back on this side of the world. I know uh, Willem in the main show uh, gave some nice shout-outs to Matt Simon retiring for the Central Coast Mariners, but uh, but my standout was uh, the choice of MacArthur captain Ulysses de Villa, who we also talked about in the main show. Uh, it was uh, incredibly symbolic uh, four months after the passing of his wife, Lily Pacheco, who, uh, it was, as Willem said uh, uh, in the main show, it was shocking, it was sudden, um, he sank. Uh, into the arms of uh, his MacArthur team manager, uh, tears, uh, uh, arms around Alassane Toure, and then he uh, he ran uh, to the crowd, found his son, and carried him into the middle of the celebrations. and uh, And minutes later, he was uh, uh, lifting the Australia Cup. So, for all of the negative news around that game, um, for me, that was a, a cracking moment of the week and a, a worthy nomination. Will I? Yeah, and Rob, I'd like to share your moment of the week. And he'd said that had you been elsewhere and maybe at other clubs, not Wellington, but at other clubs throughout his career at this age, given what he's been through, he might have retired, but that MacArthur really had. Um, I mean, it's well known that they sent uh, people over to, to Mexico where Lily unfortunately passed and where his young son, Uli Jr., was um, provided all the support uh, that they could possibly give. And there's a lot of criticism around MacArthur and Western United for what they're not bringing in terms of fans and just general momentum to Australian football. But sometimes, and a lot of the time, maybe on the outside, we forget that football clubs and sporting clubs as a whole at any level are about the people. And guys at Western United rave about what a club they're building there in terms of uh, their coaching, their facilities, and their, their passion for you know the shared goal that they're working towards. And here, MacArthur have maybe proven that they're a real club. Maybe they don't have thousands in the stands or uh, you know anything particularly going for them. If we're going to be harsh, but internally, uh, clearly they're getting things right on a, uh, on a on a people front. That's that's a big that's a big you know thing to happen in anyone's life. And they've clearly stepped up to the plate as a whole club and, and wrapped their arms around uh, the family. And yeah, it got a very sort of public uh, a cap on it on on Saturday night. Yeah, no, no, fair point uh, and well said, mate. So, so uh, to wrap it up, hot topic of the week. Um, are you just sort of uh, plunging the dagger in into the front of my chest uh, these days as opposed to slipping the stiletto in between my shoulder blades to, to mention um, uh, my club, Derek? Is that your motivation? Uh, yeah, well, no. I, I think it's because I got hammered for mentioning Arsenal too much in the last show, uh, Rob. So I think it's an exaggeration. 
I thought I thought I'd balance it out. Uh, you know, you love talking about Liverpool in this show. You, you've already mentioned your trip to Anfield already again in this show. I, I, I think that's uh, got a bolty chicken pie. Bolty chicken that, that, pie. That, that, that was. Oh, sorry, that was Wolverhampton. Anyway, sorry. we're padding. I know that the time is running out, and I want Rob to let me know that um, what could have been game of the week, the three-all thriller at Anfield, where uh, Roberto De Zerbi took his. Uh, uh, is Brighton to a deserved D uh, point uh, uh, at, at Anfield with a, a late winner and uh, sorry, late equaliser? Sorry, and it left the um, and another hat trick for that weekend. Another another hat trick. Um, yeah, no, he's a he's a fine player, Tro- uh, Trossard as well. Um, but after winning just sixteen of uh, or winning sixteen of the nineteen games in the second half of last season. Um, Klopp is in his side now, really kind of languishing down the middle part of the table, 11 points behind the leaders. We don't need to mention who they are. Uh, Rob, <laughs> if you're not pushing the panic button, are you kind of glancing over towards the panic button and kind of wondering what to do? No, no, there, there is no panic button at Anfield. Um, it's uh, it's a little down the road in, in London um, uh, at the Highbury Library. So uh, it's uh, sort of still archived there for use at, at some point. Uh, we do have a game in hand. Let's not forget that, Derek. Um, so, uh, so let's say if you give that to Liverpool and they're on 13 points, then they're equal to Chelsea in fifth spot on the ladder. So uh, no, not too concerned right now. I think Jurgen Klopp's got the matters in hand. And uh, uh, when Darwin Nunes uh, starts to fire and, and show that he uh, is, well, maybe not the equivalent of Erling Braut Harlan, but um, a, a, a very close uh, second as the number one signing of the season, then I think you'll see the, the genuine article. Well, Rob, we'll, we'll see what that hybrid library sounds like because the Reds' next game, of course, is a trip to the Emirates Stadium and the uh, crowd sound in, sounded in fine voice when uh, <laughs> uh, when I was watching uh, the game over the weekend. The uh, song for William Saliba, which is the tequila song, which I'll do on another show. I'll, I'll uh, mm. practice it ready for ready for the next show. But uh, that will be an interesting game. I think Arsenal might be playing Liverpool at a good time. Well, I think I would like to hear that um, and then drowned out by uh, the, the cheers at the away section of the ground. Willem, uh, are you over and out, um, all finished, all silent, all sold, or do you have a contribution? You look like you got something to say. I'm itching. I'm itching. I don't have a hot topic. I've got the opposite. I've got a freezing cold topic. This is as chilly as it gets. Real Madrid president Florentino Perez has reaffirmed his desire for a European Super League. He said the game does not realise it is sick. Real, Barca and Juventus are the only clubs that have it denounced the Super League and most likely never will. Uh, he said Nadal and Federer played each other 40 times in 15 years. Nadal and Djokovic have faced each other 59 teams, times in 16 years. Is this boring? Yet Real have only played Liverpool nine times in 67 years and Chelsea four times. Now, that makes sense. We can understand where he's coming from, but uh, very different sports in the amount of matches you play in a short time. Uh, as I said, give it up, Florentino. Yeah, there's some gibbering analogies people use from time to time to justify uh, their their um, spurious positions. Um, that is a gold medal contender. Um, Derek, uh, do you have any uh, comment on that? Typical Perez uh, looking for a, another angle and he just wants to join the great uh, jamboree that's happening over in, in, in the Premier League and trying to justify it any way he can. Sounds like he is. All right, boys. Well, I think it's uh, stoppage time for another week. All finished, all silent, all sold. Well done, Willem. Thank you. That's a big thumbs up from Willem Derek. Yeah, thanks, sense. Until next week, and Damo for pressing the buttons edge, preparing for the World Cup in Qatar. Um, I'm sure he's listening. Um, 
uh, you were missed, my friend, but uh, uh, another wonderful edition of the extended version of Stoppage Time. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box, Box to Box Offside, Stoppage Time, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the course of the week when we drop content, whether it's Box to Box, Stoppage Time or Offside, and go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.